As we come now before the very Word of God, I'll ask you to turn with me, if you'd like to read along, to Matthew in chapter 4. We'll be again this morning in Matthew 4. And before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know that all Scripture, that is, every word here is breathed out by you and is profitable for us to make us complete and equipped for every good work. So, Lord, would you help us now to attend to these words with all eagerness? Would you pierce our hearts to cause us to hear, to believe, and to obey you in these things? Guide us now, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. This is Matthew in chapter 4. We'll begin here in verse 23 and read uh, to the end of the chapter and even just a a little bit beyond that. So Matthew in chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. And he, the he there is Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. This is the word of God. Now, next Sunday... Uh, Lord willing, we're going to do something that we do not typically do. Typically, we just read our way straight through a book. That is just whatever comes next is whatever you hear the next Sunday. But next Sunday, I think, we're going to take just a real big flying leap across Matthew's gospel and jump over the bulk of the text here in the middle to the last chapters of the book, where we'll encounter Jesus in his passion that is, in his suffering. We'll do this in anticipation for for the Resurrection Sunday of Easter, and we'll get to see and really look at and and soak in the final hours of Jesus' life, where we will see the culmination of the reason why Jesus came, where we see his footsteps up to the cross, where he will die, as a sacrifice for sin of everyone who believes in him. So that's where we are headed, but today we're not there yet. Today we're here. And this is a natural place for us to break and to make that big leap for two reasons. One, because immediately after this text is the beginning of what's often called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is chapters 5 through 7 of Matthew's Gospel. It's the longest continuous teaching of Jesus in the whole Bible. 
And so while that's wonderful and good, it would take us months, months to unpack all of that. So we're just going to save that for another time. But the second reason why we're taking the leap or the break here is because this text, the one we just read today, is where Matthew gives us a sort of summary of Jesus' work. He ties everything together, at least so far, in a nice tidy bow. We, we hear summaries from Matthew every so often throughout the book. They're punctuated between the teachings where we hear certain accounts and interactions with different people. He's got different events, uh, various miracles and teachings. Another one of the summaries is in, at the end of Matthew chapter 9. In verse 35, listen to how similar this is. It's almost identical to what we've read. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. Now, I want us to notice that in both of these summaries, the one in chapter 9 and what I've read here at the end of chapter 4, in both of those summaries, we get three primary things that Jesus keeps doing. And those three things function as a sort of three-legged stool of Jesus' ministry. Did you notice the three things? They're in verse 23 of our text. The three things are that he is teaching and proclaiming and healing. Now, we know Jesus does a whole lot more than that that doesn't cleanly fit into one of those three categories. We will see, at least we, if we read the whole book, Jesus calms the storms. Jesus walks on the water. Jesus convicts of sin and forgives sin. He raises people from the dead. He even resurrects himself as the, the great defeater of death. He gives his people the Lord's Supper to nourish them. There's a lot more that he does aside from this. So this three-legged stool doesn't tell us everything about Jesus, but it does tell us a lot of what Jesus is about. So I want us to take, in our time, a look at each of these three legs of the stool. But to be clear, this is not a three-point sermon. Uh, we, sermons don't have to be like that. They don't even have to have points. We're sometimes used to that. But it's not a three-point sermon. If I have to have points, this is really a one-point sermon. I want to take the stool as a whole to help us answer the big question of what all this tells us about Jesus. But to do that, we have to take each of the legs one at a time. Let's do that now. So teaching, proclaiming, and healing. Let's look at the first of these. Teaching. So Jesus is frequently on the move. He taught lots of places. Here we can already see that he's going throughout all of Galilee. And the text says in verse 23 that he is teaching in their synagogues. Synagogues, plural. You'll notice as he goes along, that's the place where he kind of lands. They function as sort of like religious classrooms, these synagogues. But that's not the only place that Jesus taught. In the very next scene, what we're going to be leaping over here soon, Jesus is teaching not in a synagogue, but outdoors. 
Everybody pulls up a nice patch of grass or whatever there was handy, and, and he gathers this crowd on this mountainside, and, and he delivers what we often hear of as the Sermon on the Mount. Although in the text, it doesn't call it a sermon, it calls it a teaching. This is a teaching on the mount. We know teaching, at least in our context, can come in a whole bunch of different forms, right? You know this already. Teaching can be like lecture. You know, you can have a dialogue or discourse where there's sort of a back and forth of teaching. Teaching can be sort of in a function of mentors where there's one-to-one over a long period of time. There's sort of informal teaching where you grab those teachable moments as they happen. Or there's formal teaching where there's classes and chalkboards and all of that. And we see Jesus teaching in all of those ways. But whatever form the teaching makes, the goal of the teaching is always the same. The goal of teaching is some sort of explanation for understanding. That's teaching, explanation for understanding. That is different than the second leg of the stool, which is proclaiming, or if you're reading a different translation, preaching. I'll call it preaching just to make it easier here for us. The second leg is preaching. Preaching and teaching are, are not mutually exclusive categories. That is, they're not entirely separate from each other. There's a lot of overlap between the two of them. So uh, they, they play into each other. They're often embedded in each other. Even now in my preaching, you hear a lot of teaching. But there is a difference between the two. If the goal of, of teaching is to explain, the goal of preaching is to declare. This isn't just me being nitpicky with words. One is to explain, one's to declare. So Jesus proclaims or preaches or declares the gospel of the good news of the kingdom. So he's not walking around handing out a syllabus on the kingdom of what each of the lectures are going to be, nor is he piecing apart all the doctrines of the kingdom, although there's certainly a place for that. His preaching of the kingdom is this proclamation that the kingdom is here, and that's distinct from the work of a teacher, even of a Christian teacher. The work of a preacher is often compared to that of a town crier. You know what a town crier is? It makes me think of Paul Revere, of course, my knowledge of history is, well, fuzzy at best. But, there, you know, the old-timey old uh, town crier, the bell ringer that comes through going, hear ye, hear ye. A- and this town crier is not there to give a weather report. Hear ye, hear ye, it's going to be partly cloudy and warm. I have apps for that, okay? The town crier brings news. And news that has a particular bearing upon my life. So Jesus' main preaching was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if we can summarize all that in this way, teaching would call us to consider this, whereas preaching would call us to believe this. Those are two legs of the stool of Jesus' ministry, but there's a third leg here that we see, which is the leg of healing. It says in the text, 
that Jesus healed every disease and every affliction among the people. That doesn't mean that Jesus completely eradicated every ailment that crossed his path. It wasn't just like an aura that wherever he walked, things went away. In fact, there are a few instances where Jesus specifically does not heal the people, which is usually connected to a lack of the people's faith. But what this means here in saying that he healed every disease means he heals all types all sorts of bodily afflictions. And then Matthew gives a big list of all the types of things that Jesus heals. So he, he says, where does it begin? Uh, at the end of 24, we, we see him healing people who are sick with disease. That's the easiest one. The ones who have long-standing illnesses. People who are sick with pain. That is, they have various body aches. But it's more than just that. He also heals some from demon oppression. That is, there were a few people who had evil spirits that would cause them to do harm to their own bodies or to others. Jesus also healed from what's called seizures in my Bible translation, but the Greek word of that, of that comes from the, word, the root word for moon, so similar to the way in English, maybe you're familiar with the term that someone's been moonstruck or is a lunatic, same sort of thing. That's what the Greek is after here. It probably refers to some sort of mental illness that's causing a body disorder. And Jesus heals from that. And then we also hear mention of him healing paralytics, that is, people who have lost full use of some of their body parts. In other words, just in summary, Jesus heals every sort of bodily affliction imaginable. And his healing is what begins to draw people to him. At the beginning, he's going out to them, but they start to come by the end of the text. And as the crowds come, Jesus doesn't say to them, you, you selfish people, you know, you just want me to heal you. You should want something more spiritual than that. Nor does he say, hey, let's do a trade. I'll heal you, you follow me. Nor does he pull out, you know, a sort of intake form. You know? Let's see if you've got the right insurance, if you qualify, if you've got all the particular things in order to get your healing in order. There's just a blanket statement made here that Jesus healed every sort of disease and affliction. Now, this is the three-legged stool of Jesus' earthly ministry to teach, to preach, and to heal. So we could say it like this, that Jesus is traveling around with chalk in one hand, a bell in the other hand, and a stethoscope around his neck. That's how he walks around. Chalk in one hand, bell in one hand, stethoscope around his neck. That's not to say that he uses all of those things equally, or that each of those three have equal importance, but we do see those three things regularly throughout Jesus' life. It is central to his work to teach, to preach, and to heal. And yet, there are many churches and many Christians who are missing one of those legs of the stool. 
and the stool cannot stand on just two legs. There are some who are missing the teaching. So places where they hear sermons, where there's true belief in response, where the people either say amen with their mouth or, or say amen in their heart and just kind of nod silently to themselves. So they are very pro-sermon, very pro-healing and providing for people's physical needs. But as far as the knowledge, the understanding of faith, some of that knowledge for some is just on par with a child. There's no study, no learning, no reading, no doctrine, no mentors, no training in discipleship. Teaching is not just for professional Christians like pastors to receive. All Christians need teaching. And without teaching, our faith will end up as a handful of holes and half-truths. And some people would say, I don't need teaching, I just need Jesus. And while that sounds spiritual, that ignores the fact that part of needing Jesus is to need Jesus' teaching. I mean, surely we don't think Jesus would spend all this time teaching if it were all just a frivolous waste. You know, even after Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father, the church was devoted to the teaching of Jesus, to the teaching of the prophets and of the apostles, to the teaching of all of Scripture. Teaching is the way that God grows our understanding of himself, of the world, of ourselves. Teaching shapes the way we think about war, suffering, and friendship, and gender, and politics, and leisure, and really everything about our lives without attention to teaching, the stool falls. That's true for preaching as well. There are some people or even churches who are missing preaching. That is, they might come together to think, to learn, to grow, to have the teaching part. They're drawn, maybe, to the intellectual component. But some people see sermons as dispensable, boring even. Shocking, I know. You know, some people would say, my learning style is interactive. So that's just going to be better for me than a sermon will be. That makes the mistake of thinking that a sermon is mainly about teaching. It's not. I hope you do learn in sermons, but that is not the center. We're told not just to teach the Word of God, but to preach it. That is, to ring the bell with a pronouncement of news. That I come going, hear ye, hear ye, the Lord is God. Hear ye, hear ye, Jesus is King. Hear ye, the Spirit has come, and he calls us to drink the water of life. This preaching is aimed right at the heart of the center of ourselves with the call to hear and to repent and to believe and to have life, and what a tragedy it would be to miss that. I don't want to say this, but I have to. If you are regularly sleeping through sermons, 
something is wrong. I know that I am not the best preacher in the world. I have lots of learning and growing yet to do. But do not blame your snoring on me. Every preacher has heard all the complaints, you know? We get the feedback. If only your sermons, preacher, if only your sermons had more stories, were more relevant, if your sermons were funnier, livelier, shorter, then I wouldn't fall asleep. No, no. I mean, what do you think this is? A TV program that's tailored to your response. You can flip the channel when you want. We are here. I am here to proclaim the kingdom of God that has come to us in Jesus. And if you miss that bell ring because you slept through it, you don't need to apologize to me. You know, I'm not personally offended, nor am I looking down on you because of that. But I, but I am sad, if you do, for the things of God that you would be missing. Without attention to preaching, the stool falls. There are some who are missing that third leg. They're missing healing. And by this, I don't mean that they're missing healing personally. That is, if you're going through sickness or suffering, that's not to say you're to blame or that there's some flaw in that. I mean that we're missing the ministry of healing. You know, Christians don't do miracles in all the same ways that, that Jesus did. Our healing looks pretty different. We, we pray for miraculous healing. We sometimes even get to participate in that by way of the Spirit in some ways. But we at least need to provide for the physical needs of the body in acts of mercy. You know, Jesus mentions a whole list of these later on. He says a, a Christian is one who, who visits the sick and feeds the hungry and welcomes the stranger and clothes the naked and, and comes to the, to the prisoner. There are some people in churches who are so focused on getting people saved that we forget that we also want to get people well as far as we can. It's not a dichotomy of one or the other. Jesus cares about both, and we want to, too. James talks a, a, a good bit about this in his letter. Let me find it. In James chapter 2, he specifically talks about this very issue. In verse 15, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. We want more than a dead faith. And without attention to the healing of the body, the stool falls. We need all three legs for the stool to be stable enough to stand. 
Let me give you just one example, but I'll pick a controversial one. Social justice. Did you clinch up just hearing the word? Okay. Social justice. I know it's a controversial terminology. Okay. By social justice, we mean our response to injustice on a societal level. Christians must have this three-legged stool to engage this in a way that is holy and honoring to God. So in regard to social justice, we need teaching. That is, time to sift through what does and does not fit with the Bible in regard to this. So we don't take social justice and just dismiss the whole thing entirely, nor do we embrace the whole thing entirely. We need to wisely define more clearly what God does and doesn't mean by social justice, and to do that, we need teaching. We also need preaching, that is, a declaration of the justice of God, a proclamation of the righteousness of God, and the way that bears upon his people and his world, that there is a call to us to believe and to repent and to trust him in the midst of that. And then, in addition to teaching and preaching, we need healing. That the church would actually roll up our sleeves and do what we can about this, at least in some small way, to extend the kingdom of God into the hardest parts of life. It's not just that we throw money at it, although I don't want to demean that, that's a large part of things, but to engage some of these real and complex afflictions of, of the community. We know what they are. Substance abuse, Homelessness exists here. Even things like human tra trafficking, racism, struggles with people's disabilities. None of this is, is easy. And the three-legged stool takes a lot of time and effort. You know, that's why Jesus doesn't just teach once and preach once and heal once. This, these three are an ongoing process throughout the course of his life and ministry. And we also need to recognize that this is not all on our shoulders. If we think that, we'll quickly become overwhelmed and crushed by the weight of our own guilt and sin and obligation to this. So we have to remember that this is always has to be the work of the Spirit in the church to do this. But it's not just the power that we need. We also need to believe something about Jesus. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon that this is not just a three-point sermon about teaching, preaching, healing. It's a one-point sermon about the whole stool to help us see something true about Jesus. So here's my one point. Let me ring the bell. When we, talk, when we look at Jesus' ministry all together in summary... Jesus is not just about saving souls into heaven. Right? Not just about saving souls into heaven. He does do that. 
Praise God that he does that. We're thankful that he does that. I don't want to diminish that in any way. He does not do less than that, but he does so much more than that. Here's my one point. Jesus cares for our whole person now. We could frame his work as the three-legged stool, teach, preach, heal. We could see it as a ministry, in other words, as a ministry of mind, heart, and body. A ministry to whole persons. Which means when we hear in the scripture a line like this, 1 Peter chapter 5, if you're interested, here's the line. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. You know that one? Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. Not part of you. Not just the inner you. You. All of you. The whole of you. You know, what, what might we consider as the most, I don't know, meaningless or disposable part of ourselves? Our... Eyelashes, I, I don't know, my leg hair, my toe hair. Who, toe hair, anyone have toe hair? I have toe What's the most disposable part of myself? I don't think it is silly to say that God cares about that. That he does. He tells us not to fear because every hair of our head is numbered by him, which probably means he's not just going to stop at our head. He knows all of us. We belong to him fully every part of ourselves, body, soul, and spirit, down to the very hairs on my chinny-chin-chin. He cares for everything about us, from our knees to our sneeze, from our headache to our heartache. He cares about every worry, every confusion, every doubt, every fear. He cares for our whole selves, and there is nothing that does not matter to him. So if you put your faith in Jesus, he makes you whole. He cares about your whole self and makes you whole. That's really good news for us that sin would be taken away, but also sorrow. The great news for us is really anchored in an even greater truth about, not just us, a greater truth about God. In just a moment, after we sing, I'll pronounce a benediction over you. We've kind of become used to that. I love that part. I want you to hear the words of those benediction now. Uh, before I pronounce it. I want you to listen for the truth about God and hear the benediction will come from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You'll hear this. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. Jesus is faithful and sure. 
So believe him. Trust that he is true to his word. Would you pray with me? Lord, we praise you for all that you do, but also for all that you are. Lord, that you are the great transformer of hearts and lives, that you transform us in mind and heart and body. Would you stir all of that to love you with all that we are? Help us to trust your faithfulness to work this in us, and Lord, would you help us to live faithfully as well in our teaching, our preaching, our healing, in our whole lives. Lord, you are good, and we trust that you are sure in these things. And so we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.